food everywhere, always, always, always having food. So um, you can turn those monitors off, it wouldn't ring up here. So we're looking in the book of Jude. What we're doing this summer is taking some of the small um, books and going through them. Paper Bible, the way that you find Jude, you can make the person next to you think you know your Bible really well because you just go to the end to the book of Revelation and then it's the book right before the book of Revelation. If you have a phone, then you're, then you're good to go. Um, the book of Jude, one chapter. So we are actually doing, I think that it's six books of the Bible this summer because we're doing the short books. We're doing the one-hit wonders. Um, next week, we're doing Obadiah. One chapter, Obadiah. This week is Jude. Um, we did Second John. We did Philemon or Philemon, however it is you might want to say that. So I think what we're going to do is read this whole thing through, and then we'll come back and we'll put it in its parts. How's that? So uh, unless there's a really good, is there a reader in the, in the community? Somebody wants to stand up and read? We'll give you a microphone if you want to stand up and read. Otherwise, I'll read it. You will? Get a microphone at the, at the table there. And we're going to read the whole book of Jude. And, and there's some crazy stuff in here. Can you hear me? We can hear you. You can do it right Dang, from there. Okay. In fact, that microphone sounds nice. Ooh. I might want that one after, after you have it. Okay, bro. I'll hand it off to you. <laughs> Jude 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Judgment on false teachers. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once all delivered to the saints. For certain people have kept, uh, crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their, prop, their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume uh, to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed 
by all they like. Unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favor favoritism to gain advantage. A call to persevere. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Yeah, we, we can finish it right there, and we'll read that last part at the very end of the, the very end. We'll read 24 and 25. So that's some heavy stuff, huh? Is that what you were expecting on a Sunday morning? Here we come. So let's uh, tear it apart, see what we can get out of it. This book, Jude, was written by Jude. All right, we got that part. Well, uh, who in the world is Jude? Well, he tells you who he is. A few things about him. He, like James, is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had other brothers and sisters, and you can read about them in the Gospels. Um, Jesus, of course, was adopted by Joseph. He was the son of Mary, Mary born of a virgin. Joseph adopted Jesus. So this whole thing about fostering and adopting and you know, bringing in your, uh, other people into your family and having extended family is a very biblical thing. It happened with Jesus. Jesus was brought into the house of Joseph. Um, grew up with a family. It says in Mark about... Um, Jesus and his brothers, it's, a, it's talking about Jesus. They said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? So there he's named. Aren't his sisters also here? We don't get the names of the sisters. And they took offense at him. So Jesus had other brothers and sisters, at least four brothers that are named here, and some other sisters. 
Jude initially with his other brothers had a hard time with Jesus being the Messiah. It says in, in the Gospel of John that even his own brothers did not believe in him. So this is a pretty cool thing when Jude ends up writing, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And so James and Jude and Mary, they all became believers. His mother, you know, she's believing the whole time. It says she's totally confused sometimes about what's going on. It says she treasured all of these things in her heart because she had all of the words and the prophecies and the things that the angels had said. And she's treasuring them in her heart and trying to figure out how it's all happening and what's going on. But James, Jude, Mary, it says that they all joined together after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus in the book of Acts. They're all joining together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so they're all there. A little, a little bit more about Jude's family. Jude ends up becoming a minister, a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher. He's writing to some people. Now, keep in mind who he's writing to. Because we've talked about this quite a bit, I think, over the last couple of months, that the, the early church, the church that was born on the day of Pentecost, or about 3,000 of them um, were, were born again on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and then it began to grow from there. And so Jerusalem was an explosive church in large. But as these churches start to go out and be formed in all of these other cities and towns like Corinth, you find that they're smaller congregations, and mostly in homes, sometimes in a home, in a town or a village, sometimes in homes, sometimes multiple homes. But they're primarily meeting in small groups or small groups of people. And so this letter is written to people that Jude knows personally. And he wants to write to them about some things, but he changes course a little bit and says, you know, this is what I wanted to write about, but this is what we're going to write about. But, but in Corinthians, Jude, who's one of these sort of traveling ministers, and because there's these traveling ministers, there were all of these sort of non-sanctioned, self-appointed traveling ministers that would come through, and they'd say, you know, I was from Jerusalem, and here's what they're teaching in Jerusalem now, and there was a lot of confusion because of that, and so Paul and, and Jude, you know, uh, Peter, they're all trying to control that a little bit because people are going out claiming that they part when they weren't part, and they're going around taking advantage of people. And part of what's happening in the book of Jude is that same thing. These are fragile young churches. They're not big, booming churches that have been trained in you know, years of Hebrew doctrine in the Old Testament. They're, they're fragile young churches, and they're dependent on the people that are coming through. And some of the people that are coming through are absolute phonies trying to take advantage. And it's the same today, and there might be more safeguards, but they still, they still get in there, and they still lead people astray. And so in Corinthians, when Paul is writing, he said, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the apostles and the Lord's brothers? And so Jude apparently is married, and when he travels around to these little fellowships, he's bringing his family, bringing his wife. And so he understood ministry, and he said that he wants to write about our simple salvation, just encouraging people in the salvation that they have now received in Jesus Christ. Um, and how he wants to talk about how, how great being saved is. Um, but he said, I think I need to talk about these people that are creeping into these fellowships and leading people astray. And so the trouble necessitates the writing of his letter. Who's it written to? 
Well, it's written to you. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, to those who've been called. We've been called. If we're sitting here, we've been called. It could be that you have not yet made that step over and received Jesus as Lord and Savior or made him Lord and Savior in your life. But you're called. You're here. The Holy Spirit's calling you. I promise you the Holy Spirit is calling you. And so if you're here, just, just give into it. You know that thing that's pulling on you? That's the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit. And, and don't ignore it because there may come a day where, where it ends. So listen to the call. Answer the call. Those who are called and those who are loved. He talks a lot about love in this book. Although the middle of it, you go, where's the love there? And those who are kept, Jesus will keep us. The scripture says, he who has begun a good work in us will finish it. That which he started, he's going to finish. And then he says, to those that he's writing to, to you and to me, might you receive mercy, Lord, might we receive mercy. Peace, might we receive peace and love in abundance. So let's receive it. Let's receive mercy, peace, and love in abundance. And then he, he, he goes on a, a, in a couple of lines later in verse 3. He says that he's writing to God's holy people. That word is sanctified. You are saints. You are saints. I grew up as a child believing that saints were just sort of special people that did special things. And after you did special things, they would make a statue of you. And if you were a really good saint, then people would actually wear you around their neck. But uh, the scripture says that all of us who are called are sanctified, are set apart. You're a saint. So if you turn to the right, turn to the left, look in front of you, look in back of you, those are the saints. So um, we should commission somebody to start making statues of us all. So why does he write? Well, um, he tells us why he's writing. He he mostly wanted to just talk about the Lord. He mostly wanted to talk about what Jesus has done for us. He mostly wanted to sing a couple of happy songs, but he sidetracked and he feels the need to talk about the faith, the ancient faith that was once delivered to us. We've been talking a little bit over the last couple of months about orthodoxy, right belief. It's important to have the right belief. What's the right belief? It's sort of simple. Um, uh, we have it here in a moment, and maybe if you can find your phone where those song lyrics uh, were, try to find that. And in a moment, we're going to read what people have been confessing for 1,700 years, orthodoxy, right belief, what all believers everywhere, regardless of their stripe, regardless of where they are on the spectrum, regardless of their traditions, regardless of their their um, worship expressions, have believed those things. So he wanted to write about the things that we believed in, the solid things, the old things. Um, but what about an ancient faith in a modern world? Does an ancient faith in 2022, does that fly? What, why would we want anything old anyway? Why do we want old things? If you've been to our house, how many people have been to our house? Quite a few of us here have been to our house. We have a room that has eight windows around it in the back, maybe ten windows, and we have old bottles all in those windows. Blue bottles and clear bottles and purple bottles and just all, and all shapes and all sizes, all of these bottles. They're old bottles. And when people go in that room, they say, wow, you got a lot of old bottles. And some of them are worth a little bit, but for the most part, they're just old bottles. 
They're just old bottles. Like, what's the, what's the real value in something old? Is there any value in something old? Absolutely. Particularly when it comes to the faith that has once been delivered to us. Everything we know about our existence relates to this time-space continuum, which is back in the news again this week with the, the new pictures from the telescope. But there's someone that exists independent of time and space, outside of time and space, and he has spoken, and he has spoken to us, and it's recorded for us in the Word of God. And so there's something very valuable about that faith that has once been delivered to us. Some things are older than time, and some things will hold up regardless of what. So on your phone, did you find that? Did you find the, that's, the, the song? Go to there. We're going to there's the Apostles' Creed is there. People have been reciting this for 1,700 years. So as I'm looking on the live stream, somebody said, the sound is too low. So uh, I didn't want to be there, but there I am. So um, hello, on, hello on the live stream. Oh, is it better now? All right. So if I go to Calvary Chapel 316, I should, be able to, uh, I should be able to find this. And I go to the website, and then I go to the summer lyrics, and I click on there, and I go all the way to the bottom. There must be a thousand words in those lyrics. So, so when I get to the bottom, it has a thing called the Apostles' Creed. Do you see that? How many have found that? Let's stand up and read this together, okay? This is what people have been confessing. They've been confessing this for 1,700 years like this. Ready to try it? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. Lasting. So um, there it is. So there's orthodoxy, right belief. What more are you supposed to believe than that? Not much, not really anything. That's it. That's the belief. That's the belief that will save you in eternity, will transform your life. Um, you can always bank on it. But what he ends up writing about is he ends up writing about all of these jokers, all of these bad apples, all of these clouds without rain that go about spoiling everything. What he's going to do is give 10 examples of how they're doing that and how it's affecting people. It's kind of like this, this book reminds me of um, like the Mario video game or Sonic. Anybody ever play Sonic? Video game? Anybody? Most popular game ever, I guess. And even more popular than Mario Brothers. And, and what happens in like Mario and Sonic, they're always trying to get to the destination, right? But they have to dodge all of these things. They have to go under things. They have to jump off of canisters. They have to catch 
stars. They have to do all of these things. They're always bouncing. They're always, there's all these obstacles in the way, and they have to get to the end in order to achieve the goal. And so this book is kind of like that, that, that when we're on this path now, now that we're born again, and now that we're growing, and now that we're being transformed to whatever level we are, you know, be patient with people. We're all in different places, and we all have different situations, and, and all of us have home lives that are, that are different. And we're all just trying to get to the end. We're all just you know, bouncing off of those canisters, rolling under the logs, trying to get there. But there's all of these logs. There's all of these barriers. There's all of these things that we have to do in order to get there. There's barriers trying to stop us. And these people in these things are those barriers that are trying to stop us. There's at least 10 of them, at least 10 of them. And um, he's trying to move us from the simplicity in Christ to his power to just renew, restore. But boy, there's all kinds of things in the way. We're supposed to be making disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus said, go out and make disciples. And Jude is going to give us a list of things and people around us that are trying to trip us up as we attempt to do that. So as you read this, um, sounds treacherous, doesn't it? All of those things that she was reading about, these people sound like treacherous, crazy times. These were treacherous, crazy times. But you know what we're living in? We're living in treacherous, crazy times. These are nutty, nutty times. So can we survive? They survived. They survived. They grew. The church continued to expand. People continued to get saved. Heaven continued to be populated. So same, same. Just like then, just like now. So orthodoxy, right belief. We need to hold on to that right belief. But there's also orthopraxy. And we said that's right practice. And here, a lot of these things are keeping us, are trying to prevent us from right practice. And so his admonition here is to keep ourselves in the love of God in the midst of treacherous, crazy times. Did you pick that up at the end? Look what it says. After all of that craziness, he says, but you, dear friends, but you. <laughs> I used to travel around with this preacher. I used to do music for him in the jails. Reverend Rogers was his name. And uh, he always had me play What a Friend We Have in Jesus. He would tell me, play, play, Joseph. And so I'd play that song. I knew what that meant, play, Joseph. It meant play that song. And he preached one time on that word, but, but, but God. And he went through all of these, but God. So all of this craziness, but God. But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in the most holy faith, let's build ourselves up. That's part of what we're doing right now. We're building ourselves up in the faith. We've been beaten down by the world. We've been beaten down by the barriers. We've been beaten down by all of these things. And so let's build ourselves up in the Holy Faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Certainly aligning yourself with God and with God's will. The Apostle Paul also, we'll pray for this later. The Apostle Paul says that praying in the Spirit is sometimes praying with tongues. And so some people here pray with tongues. I pray with tongues just because I, I don't have the ability to pray without it. I don't, just don't know what to say. When I pray, I just go, so God, just uh, bless that guy and, uh, and bless them and uh, bless our country and uh, 
Then I just pray in tongues because I don't know what to pray. So keeping yourself in the love of God, keeping yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to bring you eternal life. Keeping yourself in the love of God. So in the midst of all of these situations, all of these roadblocks, all of these stumbling blocks, all of these barriers, we are supposed to keep ourselves in the continual experience of God's love. How do we do that? Keep ourselves in the continual experience of God's love. And so we're going to look at 10 of them real quick. There's no new thing under the sun. Again, the roadblocks are like those car racing videos where you have to go around all of these things in order to get to the end. Uh, there's troubles from within. There's troubles from without. Um, the summary of these stumbling blocks. These stumbling blocks in front of us, he summarizes them into four categories. Sensuality, which includes immorality and sexuality. Sensuality, anything that you can feel. Your bodily feelings, sensuality. One category, sensuality. Category number two, envy. Envy slash jealousy. Category number two. Category number three, hatred. You know, we are racing into being a people of hatred. And it says that we are supposed to be immersing ourselves and keeping ourselves in the love of God. There is a lot of hatred around. And I suppose it comes and it goes in civilizations and in cultures, but we are at a place where, man, it's getting bad, it's getting strong, it's getting heavy. You need to learn how to negotiate it. You need to learn how to go around those barriers. You need to get your, your sonic techniques down and roll underneath those logs and jump over the top of those barriers because they're there. Hatred trying to pull us down, trying to get us involved in hating other people. And so... Sensuality, envy, jealousy, hatred, and the fourth one is greed. The fourth one is greed. And so in verse 4, he says this. He says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality or sensuality and deny Jesus Christ as our sovereign Lord. So they pervert the grace of God for a license for sensuality or immorality. A better word might be lasciviousness. Anybody use that word in the everyday vocabulary? That's our, that's our assignment this week. Our assignment this week is use the word lasciviousness in your everyday work week. Somehow around the water cooler, you know, if you ride in a car and you commute with people, try to use the word lasciviousness. Ask the guys that you hunt with. You notice that there's a lot of lasciviousness around lately, you know. Uh, well, well, what does that, what was that, that word even mean? Lasciviousness. It can mean lust for sure. Because it means an excess of all things. An excess of things. There are things out there. Everything, God created everything good. But lasciviousness and sin can, can turn good things bad. And so it means excess of all kinds. And it is referring primarily to sensual indulgences, those things that affect my senses. And immorality, some of the translations use the word immorality, but immorality it's almost a useless word in the year 2022 because what does it even mean? How do you define immorality in the general population today? If we went to the mall or went to the beach and had clipboards and 
stood there and said to people, define immorality. Most people have a hard time doing that. They wouldn't really know what you're talking about. What, what are we supposed to put in that category? So sensuality works, lasciviousness works. And there are so few things that today would be considered immoral, especially in the area of sexuality and sexual practices. But, but we do need to understand that not everything that's legal is moral, right? Just because things are legal doesn't mean that it's moral. Uh, the scripture says that not everything that's permitted is helpful. On the other hand, could, could you imagine if all of your sins were illegal? That if every time you sinned, it was illegal and you could be arrested. We would all be serving life sentences. <laughs> We'd all be behind bars. They wouldn't even be able to have any COs. Any COs in the, in the congregation? Uh, we wouldn't have any COs because the COs would be locked up as well. We're all guilty. But here's what was happening with these religious leaders, these spiritual leaders who were making their rounds through these house churches. They're advocating the loosing of any standards at all because they said we're not made righteous by keeping the rules of the Old Testament. That's true. You're not made righteous by keeping the rules of the Old Testament. You are made righteous by your faith in Jesus Christ, who was God himself in the flesh, died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, and when you put your faith in him, he will pay your penalty for your sin. He took your place in payment, and you are covered in the blood of Jesus, and when God looks at you, all he sees is Jesus. That's right. You are not made righteous by keeping the rules of the Old Testament. So these guys were coming around, and they were saying, well, since you're not made righteous by keeping the rules of the Old Testament, then you can just do anything that you want, however you want, whenever you want, and you can live in all of the immorality, if you can use that word, that you want. And Jude said, these guys, these guys are spots. These guys are blemishes. That's not the gospel. That's not what it's saying. And so um, rather than going through the catalog of what all of these roadblocks are, you, you know, think, think about what they are in your own life and not the life of another. And so um, at the end, we're going to pray for the breaking of some of these strongholds because some of us are held by that stronghold. Well, you know, I'm forgiven. You know, I can do what I want. Well, it's bringing you into bondage, bringing you into bondage. So the four categories are sensuality, hatred, greed, jealousy, and envy. And so we need to stay in our lane, and here's our refrain. So after each one of these that we go through real quick, we should say, keep yourselves in the love of God. Ready to try it? What are we going to say? Right, keep yourself in the love of God. And so with all of the sensuality, with all of the lasciviousness, with all of the immorality around us, which is permissible by the environment around us, the scripture is telling us to live holy lives. And so in the midst of all of that pressure, we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. So when you're thinking about all of those things, think about the love of God. Verse 5, the next one. Though you already know all of this, I love this about the apostles. They're, they're never really lording it over the people. They're never really putting religious trips on people. He said, though you already know all of this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who didn't believe. Well, what's going on with this one? 
Those who were brought out were given the opportunity to, for a new beginning, a new life, but they didn't finish. It's, it's one thing to start. It's another thing to finish. It's finishing that matters. And what we want to do is we want to finish well. And so no matter where you are on your journey and no matter how close your journey's end is, either in years or by freak accident, we want to finish well. So we always want to be in a position where we're doing well, where we've made more progress today than we have in the past. We may not be way ahead, but we're not what we were and we're not what we're going to become. So it's finishing well that matters. And so what, what we could do right now is we could parade some of us up here and we could tell about projects that we started at the house that we haven't finished. Anybody have any of those? Yeah, it's, it's, one, it's one thing to start. It's a whole other thing to finish. And the Christian life and the Christian experience is that same way. Because he gives the example of those that came out of Egypt. They started all right, but they didn't finish. And so we don't let the difficulty of it all prevent us from experiencing what's available to us through God's gracious, merciful, loving hand. Because all around us, things are trying to stop us from finishing well. Sensuality, hatred, greed, envy. But we need to... Right, that's what Jude is telling us. Keep yourself in the love of God. Because we're on this journey and we want to finish it. How are we going to finish it? By keeping ourselves in the love of God. Verse 6. Here's another one, another example. He gives like example after example. Some of, some of the examples he gives are like a third of a verse. He does like three of them in one verse. Verse 6. He said, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound for, with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. Talking about angels, supernatural beings that have left their first estate, that have left their position, their proper dwelling. They went from who they were supposed to be to trying to be something else, leaving what they're supposed to be. And there's the temptation for so many of us to leave what we're supposed to be. A loving husband in a difficult situation. A, a loving wife in a difficult situation. You know, an employee in a, in a terrible, oppressive you know, work environment. You know, um, you know let, let's, let's experience the love of God and hold on as long as we can and be what it is that we're supposed to be while we can and where we are. And so the scriptures speak of this cosmic battle of angelic rebellion that results in Satan and, de and demons being cast out of, out of heaven. And so now we're living in a world where there's another supernatural world right behind us. If we were to tear back the curtain here, even in this field, there's, there's angels and there's demons and there's spiritual warfare and there's all of these things going on. They left their place. Why? Which one, which one did they give into? They gave into envy and jealousy. They wanted something that wasn't theirs. They wanted God's position. They wanted everything that God had. They wanted to be God. And so they rebelled and thought they could overthrow God. Al Green. Anybody know any Al Green songs? Al Green, who got converted, he's a minister now in, in Memphis. After he got converted, he did, a, he did a play off Broadway called Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. 
God will always, always win. God will always win. And so they left their first estate. They were, um, so with all of the sensuality, with all of the hatred, with all of the envy, with all of the greed, what do we need to do? Right, because it's all around us. And we're envying, we're jealous, we're looking around, we're wondering, like, how come they get it and I don't get it? How come it works for them, doesn't work for me? How come poor me compared to them? We do it. Well, here's the next one. This is number four, actually. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah. So lasciviousness is our word to work into our vocabulary this week. And then um, the topic is Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, bring that up around the water cooler. Hey, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who, who will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that those cities, as well as the cities around them, were a well-watered plain that God had given them everything that they needed to live wonderful, productive lives, where they, they could produce much in the valley, the fertile valley that they were in. But instead, they turn away from God in those categories, sensuality, hatred, greed, jealousy. Well, for them, you know, it, sa it says here, it talks about, you know, their sexuality and their, and their perversion, well, when you read about the account, there's an awful lot of sexual violence going on in Sodom. Sexual violence. When, when you read Ezekiel, Ezekiel tells us some more about their sin, the sin of the people of Sodom. Ezekiel 16 tells us that they were arrogant, they were overfed, they were unconcerned, they were haughty, they did not help the poor and needy, and they forgot about the love and the goodness of God. Sounds like we're looking in a mirror to me. What was it again about Sodom? Sodom who had everything. The love of God, the goodness of God, they were flourishing. They had a valley that could produce wonderfully. Beautiful place. They lived in a beautiful place for situation. You know, if, if real estate is location, 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 Prior to the judging of those cities, they had it. And what did they do? They were arrogant. They were overfed. They were unconcerned. They were haughty. They didn't help the poor and the needy, and they forgot the love and the goodness of God. Wow, overfed, like just having so much, having so much. We have so much. So sensuality, hatred, greed, jealousy, those categories, what are we supposed to do to avoid those because it's pressing in around us? What are we supposed to do? Yeah, keep ourselves in the love of God. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Verse 8, in the same way, these dreamers. So... You know, these people that are moving around into these fellowships, they're just dreaming that they're going to be something, they're going to be somebody. 
and, th and they're lying in wait, lying in wait, waiting for people, seeing people. Peter said they make merchandise out of you. And so they're trying to trap people. Then they know what they're doing. They're trying to trap people. And they're trapping people with all of these things. So again, orthodoxy, right belief, and orthopraxy. You know, so to take our right belief and to, and to walk it out, there's all of these obstacles. And there are people that are lying in wait for you. Lying in wait, just trying to trap you. Anybody here ever been caught in a speed trap? No one wants to admit it? Yeah, some of us have been caught in a speed trap. Um, I've told this story here before sometime, but I don't think it's been a while. But I got caught in a speed trap on this road over here, Old Colchester Road. And um, I know that I drive fast up and down those roads. And, and I know that people in Montville drive fast up and down those roads. I don't want to say that there's nobody in Montville that drives the speed limit. But I don't think I've ever been behind one that does. So, so anyway, that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. But I was coming up that road to come to the church, and I saw a cop with his, with his gun, with his radar gun. And I thought, check, check, because I'm going to leave pretty soon. There's a cop there with a radar gun. So make sure on the way back you're not speeding, because I'm always going fast up and down those roads. <clears throat> In fact, Montville drivers are sort of interesting. Um, Montville drivers, a lot of them don't stop for stop signs. But how do I know that? Because I've seen that. I stop for them, but I've seen that. In fact, I have seen people who are here run through stop signs. I've been behind you. So I won't call you out. But anyway, that's true. <laughs> Just whew, like it wasn't even there. Because um, they know the roads. And I thought I know the roads. So um, the scripture says that we're the type of creatures that we look in a mirror and we look at ourselves. And as soon as we look at ourselves, we forget what we look like. So if you had to draw a self-portrait of yourself, you might not be able to do it because you don't really remember what you look like. So we forget quickly. So I remembered seeing the cop, and I knew I needed to leave to go back the other way, but I was going to be smart and make sure that I drove the speed limit, not like the typical person who lives in Watville. But I forgot. I forgot, and I was just moving down that road. And he got me, and he pulled me over. And uh, when he pulled me over, I said, listen, I know I was speeding. Um, I know that I go up these roads fast. I, I just can't. I don't know what it is. I just can't seem to help it. I just, I just do. I said, so I, I deserve the ticket. You know, I, I, I've done it a lot of times. And he said, that kind of talk's not going to get you out of me giving you a ticket. I said, I'm not trying to talk myself out of the ticket. I said, honestly, I'm deserving of it. Like, I know that I am, so I'm just, I'm just ready to take the ticket. He said, well, I'm going to give it to you. I said, you know the only thing about the ticket that bothers me? He said, what's that? I said, I need to bring this ticket home and tell my wife I got it. And he said, I know what you mean. Go slower the next time. So, uh, <laughs> I wasn't using that line either, but I was like, thank you, you know. But lying in wait, these guys are lying in wait for you. They're going to catch you. They're determined. So here's the next one, these dreamers, these phonies. In the same way, in the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people, they pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and they heap abuse on celestial beings. You know, because they, they're not really spiritual people. They're not really born-again people who have the spirit in them. You know, spiritual things to them, they're just flipping about it. 
It said, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, he didn't himself dare to condemn him for his slander. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. So even Michael the archangel didn't say to Satan, I rebuke you. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they don't understand and the very things they do understand by instinct as rational animals do um, will destroy them. So we're going to do that other one. But, but being flippant about spiritual things. You know, there's a lot of strange stuff that goes on in Christian circles, particularly charismatic circles, of which we're in, we're in that camp. And we believe in the supernatural activity of God, that God heals, that God moves, that God speaks, that God does all of those things. That, that the God of a closed canon is a God that still moves and a God that still speaks to people, a God that still leads people, God that still heals people. But there's a lot of strange stuff that goes on, and clearly we're in those boundaries, that are never particularly effective and sometimes potentially damaging and some of it is this just sort of like flipping, ordering around angels and demons and, you know, gathering, you know, like, yeah, let's get together and fight them. Well, you, you know, even Michael the Archangel was pretty hesitant about some of that kind of stuff. You know, even Michael the Archangel understood, you know, there's some chain of command that there's some spiritual hierarchy that God will rebuke that devil. I read that. I used to say to Satan, I rebuke you. Now I just say it along with Michael, the Lord rebuke you, the authority of the Lord, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord stop you right now. The Lord do it. And so here's the next one, the sixth one here. Um, verse 10, the other side, says they do these things they understand by instinct. As irrational animals do, it will destroy them. Acting as irrational animals, irrational beasts. God created different kinds of life on the planet. He created flora, plants, trees, different kinds, and different environments have different kinds of trees and different kinds of growth. You know, cacti grow in the, grow in the desert, and you know, pines grow up in the, you know, the, high, the higher areas. So, so you have all of this. You, you, you have flora, you have fauna, you have, you, you, have, you have animals, different kinds of animals, and different kinds of animals live in different kinds of environments. So what kind of life is there? There's plant life, there's animal life, and there's human life. And human life and plant life, human life and animal life are different. Humans aren't animals. Now, they have animal characteristics. In fact, um, is, did anybody notice that we didn't have donuts this morning? Yeah, some people noticed that. There's a little bit of rebellion going on, a little bit of... Uh, well, we canceled the donuts, and after, after we stopped doing the food in September, we'll bring, we'll bring the donuts back. But I came here, and I was disappointed myself, and I was, I was in that decision. You know, yeah, let's get rid of donuts. We don't need donuts and burgers. Um, but I was disappointed there was no donuts. But I was hungry because I didn't have anything. So I went over to where they were cooking, because I was here like at 9, and, um, and I asked if I could take a piece of cheese. And... Um, and, and there was a piece of cheese, and I went to grab that one, and they said, don't take that one because it fell in the garbage. I'm just going to feed it to the animals. And I said, I'm an animal. I just want a piece of cheese. <laughs> My animal wants some cheese. <laughs> but I'm not just animal. I'm not just animal. 
I am supposed to be a human that has dignity and that has rational qualities where I can think things through and where I don't need to be operating on my animal basis all the time. Really, my animal basis is just an automobile, right? That just gets me from point A to point B. And you need to take care of your car. Did you know that? Anybody know that? You need to take care of your car. Um, if you don't take care of your car, then it won't get the person that goes into that car from point A to point B. And so we take care of our animal body so we can get from point A to point B. But that's not what I'm all about. I'm a human being. I'm a living soul inside of this body. And I have capacities like God to be able to love and to, and to be able to think about the future and to be able to establish long-term relationships and, so, and show kindness and, and genuine humanity to other people. But these people, and it could be any one of us, have just given themselves over to their animal passions. Just, just whatever my body wants, whatever my car is calling for, whatever my automobile wants, just like feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it, and making all kinds of irrational decisions based upon that. I am, not only am I a soul, but now that I have been born again, I have, a, I have the spirit of God. So I have the spirit, the spirit of me, and the, the soul of me, and the spirit of God. And I can live a whole different way. I can live above that whole animal thing. And so, you know, being animals is nice, right? Being animals are, is nice. Uh, but animals do tend to act instinctively and not with forethought and reasoning. People are supposed to be different. Like, how is the people world different than the animal world? Here's what the animal world does. The animal world eats, it sleeps, it mates, occasionally is violent, and they don't clean up after themselves. Sounds like I'm looking in the mirror. <laughs> you know, we're not supposed to be living just on the animal level. We're supposed to be living different. Humans are supposed to be caring creatures, using our reasoning faculties for the benefit of others. But often we only feed our animal parts, ignoring everything else, ignoring everything that's noble and honorable. And it says so as irrational animals, they'll destroy themselves. And so with all of the sensuality, the hatred, the greed, the jealousy, the envy, we need to stay in our lane and do what? Keep ourselves in the love of God. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Just feeding your, feeding your flesh all the time, everything that it wants, is not keeping ourselves in the love of God. Here's the next one. Uh, verse 11, the way of Cain. He does three of them here. Watch this in, in one sentence. Woe to them, they've taken the way of Cain. Well, what was the way of Cain? Cain had just come from making a sacrifice to God. He offered his produce to God, making a sacrifice. Here we are, we've sacrificed our time. We've given up the best part of the day so far, and we've met here together, and we've given it to God. And so Cain makes this sacrifice to God, and then he goes home, and because he's jealous, remember there's the four categories, sensuality, hatred, um, jealousy, envy and greed, and so he's jealous, so he goes from the worship service and goes home and kills his brother, and kills his brother. So um, the moral of that story is don't leave here, go home and kill anybody. You know, don't, don't, do, don't do what Cain did. But, but what do you see there? You see the folly even of religion 
in that you can go from a time of sacrifice, you can go from a time of religion to a time of violence. Keep yourself in the love of God. Watch out, because it's that envy, it's that jealousy that can make a person go straight from church to go home and kill his brother because he's envious of him. So we need to do what? Right, because it might be that there's a lot of things that your brother is doing that would make you envious. There might be a lot of things that your wife is doing that would make you jealous. There might be a lot of things that your uncle is doing and that your co-worker is doing. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then same, same verse, 11, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. That's the eighth one. Balaam uses his spiritual gift of prophecy to betray Israel and satisfy his own greed. Again, his greed is mixed up in spiritual language. You know, Jude is warning them, you know, listen, greed can, greed can clothe itself in spiritual language, and it still does. Greed still clothes itself in spiritual language. Some of the pleas that some of us have heard, some of the things that people have said, some of the things that, that people have used God's name in the name of Jesus. And I remember Chuck Smith speaking one time. He said, I just got a letter in the mail, he said, from this ministry. And um, he said, the ministry said, if I don't send him whatever amount of money it was, he said, then, then this ministry is going to die. And he said, if his ministry is dependent on me sending him $60, it should die. Like, why wrap it up in that kind of spiritual language? Why wrap it up like that? And it just gets confusing to people. And it certainly gets confusing to outsiders. And then in this same passage, it says they've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Well, Korah was a spiritual leader. Korah had a position of leadership in the Old Testament. He had a position of privilege. He had a position of recognition. But his jealousy, even in having all of that, his jealousy and his envy led him to want something that Moses had, led him to want something that wasn't his. And because it wasn't his, he, he leads this rebellion and he ends up paying the price and he ends up bringing others in his destruction. God doesn't always do the same thing in the New Testament that he does in the Old Testament. But the way that it happened in the Old Testament, they were rebelling against Moses after they had come out of Egypt. And Moses hears about it and Moses is like, I don't know, you know, I can't. What am I going to do? You know, I can't, you know, defend myself against this. And God said, well, then I'll defend you. What I need you to do, Moses, you come out with Aaron and your guys and you stand over there and Korah, you stand over there. And uh, whichever one the earth opens up and swallows, you know, they're the ones that were wrong. So they stood up there, and the earth opened up and swallowed them, and they were wrong. So um, God doesn't do that anymore. Don't you wish it was that easy? Hey, why don't you meet me? I'll stand there, you stand there, and the earth opens up. So, so jealousy, wanting that which belongs to somebody else. And who knows that, you know, Moses was going to die. They were younger. Who knows that maybe they weren't going to have Moses' position anyway. But... They had to go for it, try to take it, because they were jealous, they were envious. And so we need to watch out for jealousy and envy and do what? Keep ourselves in the love of God. God loves me. I might not have the position I want. I might not be what I think I should be. I might be jealous. I might be envious. I need to keep myself in the love of God and let him cure all of that right out of me. Verse 12, these people are like blemishes on your love feasts. Early church used to get together and eat all the time. See what it says? Eating with you without the slightest qualm. And so, you know, these people were just, just moving right in and taking advantage of people. They're shepherds who only feed themselves. Ezekiel talks about this as well. Shepherds who only feed themselves. 
And in Ezekiel, when he talks about shepherds that, that feed only themselves, he was talking about spiritual leaders and the political leaders of the land who only feed themselves. They are clouds without rain. Well, um, sometimes we don't want the clouds to bring any rain. But when there's a drought or when you live in the Middle East, you like the rain. You want the rain. And when the rain doesn't produce, you're disappointed. These people are disappointments. They present themselves as spiritual leaders, but they're really just disappointments. They're blown along by the wind. Whichever is happening, that's where they go. They're autumn leaves without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. You know, you expect a harvest, but there's nothing there. They're like wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness is reserved forever. Wow. Wow. So then he, then he gets a little more hopeful here. He quotes, quotes from the first book of Enoch, which is not in the scripture. He quotes from it. He said, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. He said, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them on the ungodly acts that they've committed in their ungodliness and the defiant words of ungodly sinners against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own desires. They boast about themselves. They flatter others for their own advantage. And so not everything, not everything always even comes out now. But if things go on long enough, they'll come out. How do, you, how do you defeat your enemies? How do you defeat those who are against you? I say just outlive them. Just outlive them. Just stay quiet and outlive them. And sooner or later, the truth comes out. And sooner or later, the truth will come out for them. So then he says, but. So there's my, there's my friend, Reverend Rogers. But God. But, dear friends, but those beloved of God, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus foretold. In the last days there'd be scoffers who'd follow their own ungodly desires. They'll divide you. They'll divide you. Keep yourself in the love of God because there are forces around us inside and outside of the church, inside and outside of the, of the culture that want to divide us, that want to divide us. You need to be careful about it. You need to be careful about it. Um, have, I've lived long enough now that, that I, have some, I have some relationships in my past that uh, I regret they're broken and, and have tried to, to repair them. But in trying to repair some of them, sometimes when trying to recount what our disagreement was, I can't remember I can't remember why we divided. I can't remember why we were against each other. I can't remember like what was so important that, that we had to go different ways. And so there's, there's this, this tactic of division. You know, united we stand, divided we do fall. You know, what does it say? A house divided, divided cannot stand. Heard that the other day. Somebody said Abraham Lincoln said that. He said Jesus said that. He lifted it from Jesus. He took it right from Jesus. You know, that a house divided cannot stand. And so, and so, so much that we divide on, so much that we separate on, and end up with these lifetime divisions, these lifetime separations, sometimes you don't even know what it was about. Sometimes you don't even know what it was about. There's like great lessons in the scripture on how to get along, but division is terrible. Division is awful. Division for division's sake, oh my word. But you, dear friends, 
by building yourself up in the most holy faith. How will we do that? We'll do it by reading Jude. We'll do it by seeing that this stuff has happened before. We'll do it by seeing that, that all of that stuff doesn't lead anywhere. It's just about the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. And praying in the Holy Spirit. Aligning yourself with God's will. Aligning yourself with how God would have us pray. Maybe praying in tongues. You know, uh, even those who don't believe in the gift of tongues, often in prayer they say, like, prayer just gets to a place where you just don't know what to say anymore. So you start moaning. You start grunting. You know, God can, God can interpret those. Anybody ever pray like this? Ah. Ever pray that prayer? God, like, ah. You think he knows how to answer that prayer? I think he knows how to answer it. I think he knows what you're praying. I think he knows what you mean. Keep yourself in God's love and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring eternal life. Wait. Stay steady. This will end. This will stay steady. This will end. Be merciful to those who doubt. Oh, is that the posture of a lot of my Christian friends being merciful to those who doubt? I have heard a phrase. This phrase is always a negative phrase. No matter who it's used about, no matter when it's used, when you hear those people, those people, those people, those people, well, when there's more of those people than there are of our people, then maybe we need to reconsider what in the world we're even talking about. Be merciful. Be merciful to people who doubt. Why be harsh on them? Why be all-knowing? Why be so sophisticated? Why be so... Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. You know, loving people. Being merciful to people. Remembering who you were. And remembering who you are. And then um, keeping yourself in the love of God. So let's, let's close. Let's have Ben come up and we'll, uh, we're going to pray because I think we need to pray for a few things. And here's what it says in the end. It says, to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. To him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Because what's going on here, you're, you're in a Sonic game. You're in a Mario game. You're trying to get to the end, and there's all of these obstacles along the way. And there's all of these hoops that you need to jump through. And there's all of these logs that you need to avoid. And there's all of these things that you need to duck under, and some of them you need to go over. And some of them you need to just hop from pole to pole to pole to get to the end. There's all kinds of obstacles. But, but to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, how will you keep from stumbling? By keeping yourself in the love of God by keeping ourselves in the love of God. It's the love of God. The scripture says that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. The kindness of God. I don't know about you, but I've been, um, I've been around church for 40 years. And, you know, the first 20-something years of my life, I didn't go to church at all. Little bit as a kid. My parents used to drop me off at church and I don't ever remember going with them. I don't ever remember going with them. And, and when I realized that um, I wasn't going with them, I realized that they were giving me money to put in the offering when it came by. And so I thought, well, they're not around. And I'm with my friends, and they all got offering money. 
So we used to go to Howard Johnson and have breakfast. So uh, that, was my, that was my religious experience. And then when they didn't care anymore, I didn't, I didn't care anymore. I was telling some of these young people the other day, the middle schoolers, that the first person I ever met that went to church all the time, you know who the first person I ever met that went to church all the time was? It was me. I, didn't, I never knew anybody that went to church all the time. I just didn't know people like that in my life. I just didn't know anybody that went to church all the time. And I became the first person I knew that started going to church all the time. And what you end up finding, you know, going back to, to who you are, who God is, to the love of God, to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, you know, remembering who I am, being good to people. Like there's so much, there's so much religious judgment there's so much religious superiority. There's so much holier than thou. I think this summer there's a, there's a, a reading group, right? A book group. They're reading a book called Holier Than Now. Is that right? By Jackie, Jackie Hill Perry. <laughs> That's the kind of book. I used to have a book that a friend of mine gave me. He was a, he was a counselor. And I saw the book. On his, on his shelf, and I said, hey, I might like to read that book. Uh, the book was called, Are You Fun to Live With? And he said, take it, you can have it. I never read the book, Are You Fun to Live With? I, but I did take it on my bookshelf so that when I, left, when I left my office, it was sitting right there, the book that said, Are You Fun to Live With? I didn't need to read the book. I just needed to remind myself of the cover. And uh, I like the name of that book, so I don't know if I'm gonna do the book study, but I need to remember the name of that cover. Holier than now. Why do I want to be holier than now? What's that all about? Keep yourself in the love of God. Do people see the love of God in my life? Do they know that I love them? That I accept them? That I respect them? Regardless of who they are? Regardless of who they are? I love them. Man, I have, I have some... Anybody here have like crazy people in, in, in your life? Well, well, those crazy people that are in my life, they're saying that they got crazy people in their life, and that's me. But we can learn to love one another. We can learn to respect one another. And, you know, if we can love one another and respect one another and accept one another, we can change one another. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. In, in the book of Acts, when it talks about the orthodoxy of the early church, it says they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You know, they had right belief. And then it goes down the list of all of the things that happened with the people in the early church. And it said they had favor with all the people. Now, the religious authorities didn't like them. But the people in the marketplace did. The people at work did. The people at school did. They liked them. So, you know, you can, you, you don't have to sell the orthodoxy farm in order to love people, in order to be nice to people, in order to be kind to people. Keep yourself in the love of God. That's how the thing spreads. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I told this story again the other day too. You know, I was the first person in my family to follow Jesus, you know, this way. And and man, I turned my family off early on. Did I turn them off? Boy, oh boy, did I turn them off. I was so harsh and so condemning. 
having been in the Lord a whole two months, <laughs> you know, able to tell people who lived good, holy, righteous lives, you know, you know, but didn't know the Lord, you know, telling them how to live. Crazy. To him who's able to keep you from stumbling. To him who's able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. You know, the, the scripture says that God sings over us. Jesus sings over us. I used to think that's a little too, that's a little bit too much. What's that mean? Well, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a mom with a baby in the crib, looking over the baby, talking, singing, whispering. That's what God's doing to us, singing over us. And he's going to present us in his presence without fault. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Judah's getting himself all psyched up. Amen, he says. Let's stand up and we're going to pray. Some of those things that we talked about, you know, are issues in, in the lives of some of us here. Some of us need deliverance. You know, the word deliverance means to take one thing from one place and bring it to another. It's like if you call up Domino's Pizza and order a pizza, they take it out of their oven and deliver it to your house. They bring it from one place to another place. And some of us need supernatural intervention to bring us from one place to the other place. Because some of us are thinking about giving up on the people around us. Some of us are thinking about usurping the authority of those around us and taking it by force or gossip, whichever is faster and more effective. Some of us are thinking about just giving into the flesh. You know, why am I, why do I even do this? Why do I even live like this? Why do I even try to keep myself pure? Well, you need the power of God. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, come and empower us. Empower some of us here. Lord, we need it right now, and we receive it. Those of us who know that we need to receive it are receiving it right now. The power to break these inclinations, the power to break these habits, the power to help us overcome this secret life that we're living in darkness that nobody knows about, but you know about it. And the scary thing is you might reveal it. So empower us right now to get past this, to get over it. Empower us right now, Lord, the great God, the creator, the maker of heaven and earth, the Holy Spirit who has come to live in us and to dwell in us. And Lord, give us power to witness and power to live and give us power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that we might have wisdom to know how to deal with these kids around us, that we might have wisdom to know how to deal with our husband, to know how to deal with our wife, to know how to deal with our boss, to know how to deal with this situation, that we might be loving and gracious. And Lord, some of us don't know how to pray anyway, so why don't you just pour upon us the gift of tongues, Lord, that, that some of us can just through moans and groans and, and through utterings that can't even be understood but can be interpreted by you. Lord, that you would just let it flow. And give us the ability, Lord, to just have intimate fellowship with you, Lord, where from our inmost being the Spirit is making intercession for us as we're crying out to you. You're God. Heal us, Lord. Heal us. See our greed. Lord, see our animal instincts. See our envy. See our jealousy. Lord, see our hatred. 
Lord, please, if anything, Lord, could we be known as a congregation of people that love people. No matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they are, might we just love people. And Lord, we don't, we don't sacrifice one piece of orthodoxy for even a second. In fact, that orthodoxy tells us that we need to love the people around us. We need your power. And some of us, you know, this whole thing that Jude wrote, Jude wrote to believers, but you might not be a believer. And so wherever you are in this field today, that pulling, that urging, that's the Holy Spirit, that's God. That's Jesus pulling you to himself. You know, using another Old Testament illustration in the book of Hebrews, the writer says, don't stop listening to the voice because the voice might stop calling. Give in today. Give in to the call. Give in to the voice. Give in to the pressure. That's God. The pressure you feel is God. It's God given. Pray this, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I don't know everything that it entails. I don't know everything that it, where it will go. But I know I'll be yours. I'll be yours forever. And that you're going to work in my life. And you're not going to make me like somebody else. You're going to help me be like you. So I surrender. All the fights, all the battles, all the internal battles. I surrender. I'm yours. Sing this song. How great.
So there's uh, plenty of food, so enjoy. Thank you, Jesus, for the food. Thank you for all the people. Amen. <laughs> 